Good afternoon, everybody, and welcome into another edition of To The Point Podcast. Hope you're all doing well. What a week so far. A lot of news in sports when it comes to trades, when there's settling arbitration cases in the NHL. We have the NFL kicking off its preseason schedule tomorrow. And it's been a bittersweet week for the sports world, I would say. And that's because this – in 48 hours we've lost two legends in two very different fields two very different aspects of 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 sports figures monday we lost bill russell you could argue perhaps the most important player in the in the history of the nba jerry west was interviewed this week he touched on just how bill russell changed the game not just the way he played it but also the way he approached civil rights, the way he approached his life and all that he went through to make the game better. And just the way he, a big man played with size and the paint blocking shots, all of that nature. He was a living icon. People, every time you met him, people said, you just stop what you're doing because you wanted to, to talk to him. You want to be around him. He was just, he had a presence about himself. Well, in the broadcasting world, the same can be said for Vince Scully, who passed away last night at the age of 94. Vin was the voice of the Dodgers for over 50 years. He was a broadcaster for 70 of his 94 years on planet Earth, which is incredible. He, Vin Scully was, growing up, you always know certain people when, when you think of a sport and you think of certain players, but for me it was broadcasters because that's I grew up thinking I wanted to be a broadcaster. I wanted to be a journalist. In the NHL, it was Bob Cole. You listen on Hockey Night in Canada on Saturday nights. You know Bob Cole's voice. You know what you're getting into. You know it's a special game when Bob Cole is on the call. In golf, you hear the you hear Vern Lundquist with him yelling "Yes, sir" or. Uh, him on the 16th tee at the Masters. You know Vern Lundquist. Well, in baseball, you could argue Bob Costas. You could argue Bob Uecker in Milwaukee. But to me, the voice of baseball, the voice of the storyteller, the, the narrator of the game of baseball, has and will always be Vin Scully. Vin Scully did something that is so difficult that I don't even think most people can comprehend. Every day, he called Dodgers games, but he called the game by himself. He did not have a partner in the booth with him. He did not have somebody that would hop on the mic and say anything. He did not. He hardly had a second to take a sip of water. Vin Scully was a one-man show in a booth where he had to be on the radio, had to be on TV, and keep people entertained. And he did it at the highest level for, as I mentioned, over 50 years of doing Dodgers telecasts. He told story after story. He talked about Sandy Koufax. He talked about all these great players, Bob Gibson, all the great baseball players, and be watching a Dodgers game, and Chris Taylor might have a 2-2 two and two pitch. But you weren't really caring about if he had got a single, if he walked. The game became secondary because you wanted to hear what Vin was going to say. You wanted to hear the end of Vin Scully's story. 
the game didn't matter anymore. Vin Scully was an, is an icon still. You hear the names in baseball now. Kevin Burkhart is very good at his job. He calls football as well at, at, uh, at Fox. I mentioned Bob Costas has done countless World Series. Vin Scully called 25 World Series. To me, that'll never be replicated. The way media rights switch around now, it might just be by osmosis that you won't be able to do it because you might think, well, um, who's called the most? I believe John Madden to this point is called the most Super Bowls. Troy Aikman will pass that when ESPN has their telecast. But with the media rights switching all the time, that, that record I don't think will be broken. The fact that somebody will work for one team for over 50 years and have that kind of impact, I don't think will ever happen again either. Vin Scully worked until he was 88 years old. 88. Again, calling games by himself. It's truly astonishing who this man was and what he meant to the game of baseball. Vin Scully made you feel like you were playing Little League, playing toss with, with your father. The game wasn't so serious. And I think at times we need that. I take it too serious. Fans take it way too serious. Vin Scully was there to entertain you and, and provide you with a good couple hours of television, and then you could move on with your day. But you didn't think about it at the time. You never. At the, that's the thing about time, and that's a, the, one of the great things in life, is time never stops, but you do have time to reflect, to look back and say, wow, I'm really taking this for granted. I think Jim Nance is a great NFL announcer. Hearing his patented Tony when he's calling games with Tony Romo. But how often do you say, okay, well, who's calling the game today? Oh, Tony Romo and Jim Nance. You for, you throw it away. It's a throwaway comment. You, it doesn't, you say it doesn't matter, right? You hear telecasts of your favorite people. You never know when you're never going to hear them again. Not because maybe they're going to pass away, but they might just retire. Vern Glundquist works one day a year at the Masters. Eventually, he won't work it anymore. We have to brace for that. I know studying journalism, being in, wanting to be a reporter from the time I was, I would say, two years old is when my obsession with sports started, where I would literally stand about a foot away from the TV, which I still do sometimes, and jump up and watch games. I wanted to be a guy like Vince Scully. I wanted to be a Jim Nance. I wanted to be a Ray Ferraro. And to, to work hours and hours on end where he would work extra inning games and it was all Vin all the time. And he did it. Without complaint, he had stories every day. It didn't become dry. It didn't become a situation 
where you said, oh, we got Vin again today. You look forward to it. We, we too often in society, we skew negative, right? We remember the bad announcers. We remember the bad players. And then we just, <laughs> we forget the greatness that's in front of us. We forget that, wow, some people say, well, I can't wait for Tom Brady to go away. I'm not, I don't want that. Play as long as you want. In my lifetime, in our collective lifetime, listeners out there, we're going to be able to see Tom Brady, LeBron James, Michael Jordan. I saw a little bit of Gretzky. Novak Djokovic, Rafael Nadal. I get to listen to Vin Scully. I get to listen to Jim Nance. I got to listen to Bob Cole. That's pretty special. There will always be announcers. There will always be players, musicians, actors, whomever it might be. And I, I'm, tell, I'm saying this for myself more than anybody else because I skew negative. Don't get me wrong. Not that I'm a negative person, but I will skew negative from time to time because it's, it's an easier story. It's a better story. It's better content. But we, we got to go through life and see these people. Hear them. Watch them do what they did. See their lasting impact. When somebody dies or somebody retires, anything like this, and there's universal praise, it's something different. There's nothing today that Vin Scully wasn't as good as, he, as people thought he was or Vin was boring. If it is, it's a dumb millennial that didn't listen. They didn't listen to Vin anyway. They don't even like baseball. 99.9% of comments today, comments this week about Bill Russell and about Vince Scully are about their impact, a positive impact on their respective sport. Bill Russell on the game of basketball, on the way he approached civil rights, and how he changed the world for the better. Vince Scully on how I mean, you can make the argument, and I don't even think it's a hard argument to make, that Vin Scully was a key creator in making baseball America's favorite pastime. Sure, the players are great, but for most people, you need a good commentator as well. I can watch games on mute. I shouldn't as much as I do. But most people will check out. If it's if it's somebody you're not really interested in listening to, they're not telling compelling stories, they're not keeping you interested, you're going to fall off a little bit. You won't be as compelled. And you might flip to another channel, you might watch Netflix, whatever is available to you, you will take the alternative option. Baseball used to be America's favorite pastime. It used to be more popular than football. It used to be more popular than baseball. To me, baseball has lost some of its luster because we can't think of a key announcer that you really enjoy listening to. Rick Sutcliffe doesn't, doesn't call games anymore. I used to love Rick Sutcliffe when he worked for ESPN. He's a great player, but he was also great in the booth. I used to listen, I used to, listen to Vince Scully call Dodgers games on Sunday afternoons. That was always a treat. 
San Francisco Giants at the Dodgers at Chavez Ravine Sunday afternoon. Noah's dialed into this baseball game, right? For Blue Jays fans, Buck Martinez might be that person for you. If you watch the Jays day in, day out, I, mean, I really think about it. John Smoltz is okay. He's not my favorite guy. He works for Fox. I think he's he's just okay. I mean, Dan Shulman is a jack of all trades. To me, he he's, might be the best color commentator that Canada has ever produced. He calls college basketball. He can call NBA games. He calls baseball. Dan Shulman used to work for the Mothership. He might No, he still works for the Mothership calling uh, college basketball games. He used to do Sunday Night Baseball. He's fantastic. To me, he's the voice of baseball. And Blue Jays fans are fortunate that they get to listen to, to Dan Shulman on a day-in, day-out basis. Do what he does. Call baseball games. Vin's going to live in infamy because nobody will do it. Like I said, nobody will be able to do, be able to replicate what he accomplished. Over 50 years in one location calling games for the Dodgers. 25 World Series. And a renowned icon of the sport who only made it better. Who loved it for all the right reasons. And is still massively popular today. The best thing about this week is we do get to reflect, we get to admire these men. But another thing that I'm thankful for is that Bill Russell was 88 and Vince Scully was 94. It's still sad. It's still a life lost. But they both lived good lives. They both changed things for the better. And reflecting on my immortality eventually, hopefully it's not too soon, I hope to do the same thing. I doubt it'll be to their level, but however we can do something to make life better for the people that are coming up, I think that's all some, that's something we should all aspire to. On that note, I see we got Seamus in the pipeline here. Bring him in. Seamus, a Dodger fan. Um, I'm sure you saw on Twitter that Vin Scully uh, died last night, but it, I was saying to start the show, it's a sad day this week. Obviously, Bill Russell, another Celtic, another one of your favorite teams passed away, but it, it's, it's, a, it's a good week too in that we get to celebrate these two icons of their respective fields. Yeah, I get to celebrate their lives. Absolutely. Bill Russell was uh, such a staple throughout the NBA. I mean, everyone you, ta- everyone you know, all the major athletes. Can you hear me? No, can't hear me. Cutting in and out. Let's make sure my uh, volume's up to a chain. How it is? I thought it was on mute. Hello. Just one second here. Oh, Bill Russell. Anyone listening, go check out the Kenny Smith um, joins Tim and Friends uh, podcast. And he talked a little bit about Kenny Smith or how Bill Russell was his coach and what it meant to him and how he sat beside him for all his road games. I thought that was really interesting. And, you know, his perspective, I didn't know Bill Russell was even a coach for Sacramento, let alone 
kind of like a GM slash head coach um, role. So if anyone's listening, go, go, I would recommend going check it out. It was a really interesting story. It's only about a minute to two minutes long, but um, super, super interesting. And uh, yeah. Sorry about that, Shay. That uh, I restarted can't my. Hear me, but, oh, yeah. I can't hear you this time. I still can't hear you. No, I can't hear you. I, you can hear me. Hmm. I restarted well, my computer. On maybe uh, just restart your uh, or, or uh, exit out and then maybe come back in. I'm not sure. One second. I'm just gonna mess. I'll mess around with my. Normally it comes right back on, but. Um, Work through our technical difficulties here. Um, we'll get back to the Vin Scully, Bill Russell of it all. Uh, this afternoon, the Rays are leading the Blue Jays 3-2. to two. Hello. Bottom of the seventh, lot afternoon baseball today. Braves are up one nothing on the Phillies, bottom of the eighth. They're looking to get a two-game sweep out of the Phillies. Phillies made some moves yesterday, trade deadline. Good to go. Can you hear me? You can't, can't hear, hear me you. either? One second. I'll bop out. She's going to reset. We got the Guardians up. My Mariners are up 6-1 on the Yankees. And the Twins are leading the Tigers. So a lot of afternoon baseball today. And uh, as we get Shea back, we'll, we'll continue to talk with Vince Scully and Bill Russell. We are going to get into the MLB trade deadline when it comes to a few teams that were quiet that surprised me. They did make a whole lot of moves that I thought would be a little more aggressive when it comes to acquiring starting pitching, when it comes to getting help in their bullpen. A couple teams that surprised me with how aggressive they were. In particular, obviously the Padres were the big story of the day. They, they get Juan Soto, they get a number of players, and then they also get Brandon Jury last night in the – who's having a career season playing fantastic baseball. So the former Jay. Don't gotcha. Holy hmm. shit. Hmm. Can you hear me now? Hmm. Surprising today. I guess I was gonna... Can you hear me now? Hello. Hmm. I'm going to reset again. We'll see. Hello.
You got me. Better? No. I can't hear you now either. Yeah, I don't know what's going on today here, folks. Uh, reset my computer twice. Still not working on the old. Hello. On the old volume. I'm unmuted here. Yeah. Hmm. See what we can do here. Hello. I'm going to invite you again, Shay. We'll see if that uh, helps. I'll send you another link and we'll see what happens. If you check your email, it should be uh, another link there. But hey, it's Wednesday. That's bound to happen. But yeah, um, sorry everybody for the technical difficult. Don't know what's going on today. It uh, normally I reset my computer before I bring a guest on, which I did before we started today, and there's normally no issues. So I don't know what's going on with technology today. It's likely on my end because I screwed that up frequently. But we'll wait and see what's what's happening when Seamus rejoins. And as I said, it's. It's a sad day, but it's a good day. Baseball has taken center stage this week for a number of reasons. Obviously, the trade deadline was big yesterday. And I think it's important baseball has a really good second half because the NFL is starting, and that's a machine that never stops. I mentioned this on the podcast yesterday, but Andrew Marshan of the New York Post, who does a great job covering sports business, said at one point yesterday ESPN – had was covering the NFL, ESPN2 was covering the NBA, and it's August, and they weren't talking about baseball. So that kind of tells you that they need a good push here. Do I got any you? better? Any better? No, I can't. So just volume. I can I can hear you. Hmm. What about now? What about now? What about now? Hmm. Hello. It's hmm. working through this here. Let's see audio. Nothing. Hmm. Hear me now. Let me know. Hello. 
Hello. Can you hear me? It's not our day. I don't know what's going on today. Um, Jesus technology is not my friend today. Can you hear me now? Nothing, eh? <laughs> no, all good. Call it a day. Yes, yeah, so everybody. I don't know what's going on with the with the with the audio today or the connection because we can see each other, but I cannot I cannot hear Seamus and I'm unmuted and I've checked everything I can here and it's not working. So I don't know. Send him a couple of links. Maybe it's just one of those days. It's just one of those days where it's not supposed to work. But yeah, so I think Shay's going to check out for today. No worry. No problem there. Um, I appreciate, appreciate him trying. Uh, he's busy as always. Uh, so yeah, we'll give, we'll talk. Uh, we'll keep Seamus. Seamus will be back next week. Hopefully there's no issues, but uh, yeah, weird, weird set of circumstances today, but we'll get back at it next week. So back to the trade deadline as we pivot back into baseball. I, as I reflected last night on the trade deadline and, you know, winners and losers are to be determined. That's not really a hot take I'm going to make today is there's just, I have moves I like. And then just, you know, I think you look around and there's teams this season, you know, you, you think of the Yankees, they're they're great. The Dodgers are obviously fantastic. But then you look and the Mets are a really good team. The Braves are a really good team. The Blue Jays are no slouch. So I, I think this season in particular, teams at the deadline were aggressive because they felt like they could be successful. They felt like they could win a wildcard game. They could sneak into the postseason and make some noise. One team that really surprise me and they made moves later in the day were the Philadelphia Phillies. The Phillies are, as I mentioned in a dog fight with the Braves, well, not really the Braves are w way ahead, but 
the Phillies are in a dogfight with the St. Louis Cardinals for the final wild card spot right now. And they they're a good team. They're built with a lot of veterans, Nick Castellanos, Kyle Schwarber, Bryce Harper, who's been out for a long time. But they have a solid roster. And as we speak, they just took a 3-1 lead over the Atlanta Braves. So they're very much in the playoff picture. Kyle Gibson's had a great season. So is Zach Wheeler. So they have some veteran pitching that's really shown up for them this season. And although they are third to the division behind the Braves and behind the Mets, they still, with the expanded playoff, they have a chance of making the playoffs, and who knows what happens from there. But yesterday, they acquired a position player in Brandon Marsh who can play all over the field. He's a center fielder technically, but he can also play left. He gives them some flexibility, and he's a guy that has batted leadoff. So again, he provides even more opportunities for this team to make Kyle Schwarber an everyday DH. They also have Derek Hall has been DHing, so Gives them some flexibility. They acquire Noah Syndergaard. That was the last trade of the trade deadline where Syndergaard goes to the Phillies from the Los Angeles Angels. Syndergaard, a.k.a. Thor, is formerly you know, a great Cy Young-type pitcher, but he's been through a number of injuries. He seems to be constantly banged up. He had a, a Tommy John surgery last year. He's still got some arm problems. So Syndergaard is not your ace anymore. He's not your – to me, I look at the Phillies lineup. Maybe he's their number three pitcher if they make the playoffs. Again, you go Wheeler, then you go, perhaps you go Aaron Nola, Gibson, and then Syndergaard is sprinkled in there. So it gives them some depth. It gives them another good starting pitcher, I will say that. And Syndergaard used to pitch for the Mets. He used to pitch against the Braves often. So he goes back to the National League East, which 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 is where he got traded from the Blue Jays, and that's where he started his career in the big leagues. So Syndergaard is back where it all started for him when it comes to the divisional format. And the Phillies also acquired David Robertson. This is Robertson's second stint with the Phillies. He played six games in 2019 before his season ended early in the year. And as I mentioned, he's a... He's a he's a reliever I would have coveted. He can he can be your closer if you need him to be. They have Corey Knable, who's been fantastic for them this season. But Robertson can pitch an eighth inning. He can pitch a seventh. He's got a one five six ERA this season. He's had really a bounce back campaign for him, where it looked like he might be out of baseball. But Robertson is is solid. He's dependable. He's won a World Series before, and. The Phillies need a bullpen help. They had Yuri's Familia, who formerly of the Mets, who they had in their roster. He just got designated for assignment to open up a roster spot for Robertson. So a good trade there. It's a lot for a team that might miss the playoffs. That's my one thing here is it's a lot of moves in, and you got to hope that you can, you can win some games here. And maybe the thought is we get in, we can, we can do some damage. But I just look at the teams in front of them. And sometimes that's just what you have to do and say, we're not that good. The Philadelphia Phillies are a better baseball team than the Baltimore Orioles. But the Baltimore Orioles looked around and said, we're having a fantastic season. We're winning games. We didn't expect to be this good. But you know what? We aren't this good. We will fall back into it. So we're going to make some changes and we're going to trade off some expiring contracts 
because eventually things will turn around here and we'll be what we really are, just an average ball team. So they trade away Mancini, they trade away Jorge Lopez, and they still go ahead and win last night. But they they realize what they are as a team. To me, the Phillies and the Cardinals to some extent, because the Cardinals were not that aggressive yesterday, they got Jose Quintana, as I pointed out. They did not end up trading for Juan Soto. So they stuck to their roster that really has gotten them this far. They didn't trade Dylan Carlson. They did acquire Jordan Montgomery from the New York Yankees as another starting pitcher. So they're in a position where I think they look at it and they know this this roster is what it is. When Pools is gone, when Ray, Wainwright is gone, they'll have Nolan Arenado and Paul Goldschmidt surrounded with a bunch of we don't knows a bunch of, with a bunch of guys that you're not sure where this team is going. They need some a youth movement push through and Bader is a gold glove winning center fielder, but he doesn't have a great bat. Montgomery can come in and, and can be a starting pitcher for the Cardinals and, and they need that depth. So Phillies and Cardinals both do something. I feel like the Cardinals made more sense because the Yankees needed a guy to play center field, which they got in Bader. Montgomery, I talked about yesterday how the New York Yankees had too many starting pitchers for their own good. So they move out Jordan Montgomery and they bring in Bader, who to me is a guy who will play, but he also can be asked to pitch or come in in, in defensive situations. When you have a one-run lead in the eighth inning, Bader can come in with a defensive defensive shift and just be your great center fielder back there. So some interesting moves there, but I'm the Phillies did a lot, which I'm surprised with. The Angels... Angels decide to be sellers, although they don't trade Shohei Otani. Smart move, as I mentioned. You need to be able to sell tickets. You need to sell tickets in the sports world. You need people to show up, and Shohei Otani is a gate attraction. It's that simple for me. He is just He's a must-watch guy. He brings in another audience. He brings you the Japanese demographic. He's a fantastic pitcher. He's a fantastic player. He'll be, if you trade him next year, teams will be lined up at the door. But the Angels trade Syndergaard yesterday. They trade Yasiel Iglesias, their closer, to the Atlanta Braves. So the Braves, who could repeat, they get Odorisi yesterday. They get Adrianza as a second baseman. They get Iglesias, who I believe will be competing with Kenley Jansen to be the team's closer come the end of the year. It'll be an open tryout, and we'll see who performs the best in the last couple months of the season. So... The Angels sell nearly everybody, but again, the Angels, if, if you think of the last 10 years, and I say you can't think of the Angels, you can't name Mike Trout, and you can't name Shohei Otani, what do you think about? Well, you think about incompetence. You think about bad signings. You think about this team being non-competitive while being one of the highest spending teams in baseball. Angels owner's name's Artie Moreno, and he's not a good owner. He has had no success in Los Angeles with this team. None. They're just another club, but they're in Anaheim, and you expect this team to be at least half-decent. They're never half-decent. They're never competitive. They're just another team. 
they get Jesse Chavez, who will pitch the rest of the year, who's had a had a good season in Atlanta. They get Tucker Davidson, so a couple pitchers to replace the men they lost. But again, the Angels are just sitting there in a in a July, uh, early October, where they're never going to make the playoffs, never going to come close to making the playoffs, and that is just such a bad position for this team to be in. And really for the Angels, the rest of the season doesn't matter. When Otani pitches, they're interesting. Other than that, they're not. What they need to do between starting now to about this point next season is give Shohei Otani a reason to stick around in Los Angeles other than money. Because I don't think he's going to stay because he'll go somewhere else and get a whole lot of money and be be on a competitive team. What do we know about the about these international players? A lot of them come over and they join really good teams. Masahiro Tanaka, he had a semi-successful MLB career coming over to play for the Yankees. I believe he had a 365 ERA when his MLB, MLB career was over and he went back to Japan. But he signed with the Yankees because they're a big market and because he had a chance to win. Ichiro Suzuki, sure, he's with the Marlins. You could, but the Marlins were a competitive team. They won a, they won the World Series in 03. He went to the Seattle Mariners, who, yes, who have had a long streak of not making the postseason, but they won 116 games in 2001. So he was on rosters that were had at least presented that they were winners, that they that they had a sense of pride, that they that they looked into winning and had some success at some point. The Angels have had none. Mike Sosha has come and gone as manager. He was there. They won a World Series in the early 2000s. Since then, it's been nothing but a disaster. Their only goal is to sell Shohei Otani on the market. Because after next season, he's a free agent. He can go anywhere in baseball. And it won't be he won't be an angel if it continues to go this way. And if Mike Trout's health sucks. It just won't be there. He'll go somewhere else and try to win a World Series. So Angels sell off. I like the Braves moves. Again, Minnesota surprised me. But I'm thinking last night, well, Minnesota was so aggressive, and I've thought all year that the Chicago White Sox are better than the Minnesota Twins, although Minnesota's been in first for the longest time. And I'm thinking, well, why wouldn't Minnesota be aggressive? They're first in the American League Central. They have been for some time. They play consistently good baseball. All they do is win games. Minnesota. As we speak, I believe they're already, they're winning today. Or already they're beating the Tigers in the sixth inning. All they do is win. Why can't they win the American League Central? They can. That's why they're in this position. That's why they go get a starting pitcher in Tyler Maley. He wasn't Luis Castillo, who ends up in Seattle, but he's a damn good pitcher. And they get Jorge Lopez, who's having a career year for the for the Orioles as their closer. They have options. Plus, they can win their division, and who knows what happens. So I, I'm for Minnesota being aggressive. The Guardians have a low payroll, and somehow they're they're a game out of the wild card. They're a game behind Tampa Bay. 
They don't hardly spend any money. They kept Jose Ramirez because at the beginning of the season, including I, I ridiculed the Guardians because they were just but they were selling off piece after piece. They are a game out of the final wild card spot and three games behind the Minnesota Twins. They're just winning all the time. The Guardians, the Twins, and the White Sox are all playing good baseball right now. Chicago's within two of the wild card. The Guardians are two games back of a wild card spot. And the Minnesota Twins are leading the American League Central. And they win three out of every four games basically right now. That's the most interesting division for me. Because the White Sox were quiet. The White Sox were really quiet. They only got Jake Diekman, a reliever from the Boston Red Sox, who I would not want. To me, this was management sending a message. You haven't earned the you haven't earned the opportunity, you haven't earned the advantage of us going out and getting players for you. The fact that you're not in first place right now tells us something about this roster. Tells us about Tony Arusa, who won't be the manager next year. You could argue Eloy Jimenez was their free agent acquisition. He was injured most of the season. He's back now, left fielder slash designated hitter. They're starting to come around a bit. Jose Abreu is batting 300 again. He had a really slow start. He's had a fantastic second half of the season. White Sox are playing this afternoon as well. It seems like every team in baseball is playing this afternoon. A little Wednesday afternoon matinee. But they, they hardly do anything. The Guardians are, are quiet, but again, they continue to win games. They've been getting good production from guys you wouldn't expect all season long, and it's continuing. So why why break that? Why, sh- why, shake, why shake it up if you don't have to when your team is winning? Now, the thing about the Twins, the thing about... The White Sox are in the most pressure to make the playoffs win their division. But the difference between Minnesota Twins, Cleveland Guardians, Cardinals to a certain extent, is that those teams do not have expectations of winning a World Series this year. And if they do, then they're crazy. There are expectations that are not realistic. And they shouldn't make big deadline moves because they are not going to be there at the end of the at the end of the year. To me, the, my power rankings right now when it comes to World Series, I have the Houston Astros won, as I pointed out the last couple of weeks. Astros are the best team in baseball to me. That has not changed. Two, I'm going to go with the Dodgers because of their pitching. Their bats don't excite me that much. They got Joey Gallo, which will not impress me when it comes to a bat because the guy strikes out more than anybody in baseball. That was their acquisition yesterday. They traded away a few guys, but they still have a good team. And, you know, I, I, I'll go Dodgers too. Three, I'm going to go with the Yankees. Yankees still have good starters. They have good bats. They have the MVP of the American League right now, and you could argue the best player in all of baseball and Aaron Judge. So I'm going to go with the Yankees three. Four, I'm going with the Atlanta Braves. Surpassing the Mets. Yes, the Mets are in first place. The Metropolitans are first in the American League East, so in the National League East. However, the Atlanta Braves are the reigning defending World Series champions, and they are no joke. 
the Braves are only in second place because the Mets are so damn hot right now. The Braves are going to be a problem. They're going to get into the playoffs. And they got that mojo about them. And with Alex Anthopoulos, normally his deadline acquisitions work. They work for the Blue Jays with David Price and Tulowitzki and all the guys they brought in. They work last year. Jorge Soler, a deadline acquisition, won the World Series MVP. Eddie Rosario won the uh, National League Championship Series MVP. Adam Duvall was a great ad. His players that he picks up work out. So I expect Odorizzi to be pretty good. I expect Iglesias to be solid in his new role. And Adrianza will fit in. He'll, I know he'll be a better fit than Robinson Cano. So I'll go with those four. Those four. I'm going to go with the Mets, fifth. The Mets don't do anything crazy. However, I did see on Twitter Mets fans were going crazy because there was no activity. There's no deadline moves. But what I would tell Mets fans is, Okay, you acquired Max Scherzer and Jacob DeGrom. Both players are back. DeGrom returned last night after missing over a year. Five innings and one run ball. Not bad for his first start back. You get two of the best pitchers in all of baseball back on your roster. That is a deadline move. That is absolutely a deadline move. You partner them with Taiwan Walker. This Mets team is for real. They're good. Six on my power rankings, I have the San Diego Padres. That might seem low, but the Padres still are not complete to me. Their pitching still worries me very much. They are playing good baseball right now. They are confident. But they're they're one of the most interesting teams over the last couple of months is just to see what, what they are. What kind of cohesion does this team have? Are they a super team in the NBA that's just a bunch of great players thrown together and they don't know what they're doing? Sure, you got Soto, you got Machado, you have Darvish, you have Tatis Jr. who still hasn't played a game, Josh Bell. But is it a team or just a collection of guys that are on the same team that don't really care about the collective? Care more about themselves than the group? That remains to be seen. I want to see that proven that a number of these guys can play in a team system and succeed in it. So the Padres have the most upside. But what I do know already is that the San Diego Padres will not be winning the National League West. That will be the Los Angeles Dodgers. Meaning the Padres are going to be in a wildcard spot and will have to play in a best two out of three series to advance to the actual postseason play in the new wildcard system, the expanded playoffs. That is definitive. They're going to have to be in this because the Dodgers are winning that division. So they could get to the playoffs trading for Juan Soto, doing all that they did, getting Drury, Soto, Josh Bell, Josh Hader, and look around and say, holy crap, we're out of, we're out of the playoffs already. So with that being said, Getting that first seed is so important for teams like the Dodgers. I mean, for the Yankees, you want to get that. You want to make Houston play in a wildcard series. You want that break and put yourself in the best position to get home field throughout the American League playoffs. But the Padres, they're going to have to play wild. They're going to have to play more games 
that which lead to more opportunities of being eliminated from the playoffs. I want to see their cohesion, but to me, they're no higher than sixth. I don't have a bunch. I don't have them above, above the Mets. I don't have a, above the Braves, Yanks, Dodgers, Houston. In my top six, I only have one. I have two American League teams, four National League. My seventh team, the Toronto Blue Jays. And the Toronto Blue Jays are seventh. And to me, they're a distant seventh. The teams on this list above the Blue Jays got better yesterday with moves either made to improve the roster via trades or with the Mets getting players back. The Toronto Blue Jays did make moves over the trade deadline period. They acquired two-time All-Star second baseman Whit Merrifield from the Kansas City Chiefs. Kansas City Royals, pardon me. They acquired Anthony Bass from the Miami Marlins, who's back with a second stint with the Toronto Blue Jays. Bass is having a fantastic season. They get right-handed pitcher Mitch White from the Los Angeles Dodgers, who can be a starter at times, will likely be in the Blue Jays' bullpen, although Ross Stripling just went on the injured list today, so Mitch White could be a potential starter this upcoming weekend as they head to Minnesota after this afternoon's game. And they get infielder Alex DeJesus from the Dodgers as well in that trade as Max Castillo goes the other way. The Jays did something. Merrifield's a good player. Something we got to consider, though. Merrifield is unvaccinated. As we currently stand, he cannot play in Canada. Just a few weeks ago, prior to the All-Star break, Whit Merrifield declined to come up to Canada because he's not vaccinated. He could not get into the country. So this move could be completely irrelevant if he does not decide to get vaccinated. Is he going to or not? It's a gamble, which the Blues are, Blue Jays are going to have to deal with. I assume he will or they wouldn't have traded for him. But again, we don't know that for certain. And we'll have to wait and see to, on what, what transpires. Because for, for, until further notice, Whit Merrifield will not be on, on, the, on the Blue Jays roster or, or available. Well, technically, he could play this weekend in Minnesota against the Twins because he is not in Canada. But he, if he wants to play home games for the Toronto Blue Jays, he will have to get vaccinated. So we'll wait and see what, what's happening with Whit with, with, yeah, with Whit Merrifield. Anthony Bass is a good pickup. I mentioned yesterday he's a guy that can be in the middle of your middle of your uh, bullpen, pitch a seventh inning, pitch an eighth inning. You feel comfortable with him. He's been solid all season. But they don't get any player that you just write home about. Luis Castillo went to the Mariners. Great pitcher. Maley, even Tyler Maley goes to Minnesota. He's a decent pitcher. The Phillies land Cindergard. The, they don't get depth. They don't particularly add great players to their bullpen. Another great player that you want to look at. I mean, I look at the Angels getting Jesse Chavez. That would have been something the Blue Jays could have looked into because he's a guy that can give you multiple innings, and that's rare in today's age when it comes to a bullpen arm. They didn't do enough. Well, other teams did to get better. This team was the favorite to win the World Series at the beginning of the year. And to their credit, they're playing fantastic baseball right now. They just are. 
They're winning every game practically that they're playing. They've beaten good teams along the way. I, I think it's important. They got a tough stretch this week to see what they got. They beat Tampa last night where Gosman just threw a gem, but then they're in Minnesota for four. That's a tough series. We'll see what they can come up with when they're when they're in Minnesota battling the Twins. But you, you got to prove something in that stretch that you can deliver, that you can play at an elite level. They didn't do enough for me. They're still a great team. Vladdy's playing like an MVP finally. Kirk is still great, but you wanted more options. I think you want another bat for sure. Because, I mean, last night Danny Jansen was playing designated hitter. That's not where you want to be. Uh, Danny Jansen's a great catcher. You don't want him playing on days that are that he's not catching. You don't want him with a bat in his hand otherwise because he's not worth it. He's not a DH. He's not a threatening bat. This could work out for the Toronto Blue Jays where they don't have to spend that much and they still end up winning. But I will say they, they're going to need their pitching to be fantastic and clearly they're banking on Jose Barrios being healthy and being his A self that we've seen in the past. Because otherwise, you have Alec Manoa, who hasn't pitched in a playoff game before. You have uh, Brios, obviously, Gosman, who's pitched in playoff games, but and he's been fairly good this year. Stripling, who he wouldn't want pitching, and Yusei Kikuchi, who, again, is not the ideal person to, to start a playoff game. The Jays lose today. In Tampa, they'll head to Minnesota immediately following this game. The Braves lose to the Phillies after giving up three runs in the eighth inning. So win there. Baltimore is tied with Texas. They're looking for a sweep of Texas here in the bottom of the third. Astros have a 4-0 lead on the Boston Red Sox. We got the Mariners up 6-1 over the Yankees as my Mariners look to take two out of three from the Yankees in the Bronx. Today, I'm... It's going to be a quicker show, and just with the technical difficulty stuff, and there's something just came up that I have to deal with. So tomorrow is a we'll cover some interest. We'll cover some news up front of anything that happens between now and then. But tomorrow we are going to be talking about the NFC, NFC West. We are going to be starting the the uh, weekly slash biweekly divisional breakdowns in the National Football League where I'll take you through addition subtractions of each team throughout the season. And we'll start with the NFC West with some interesting teams like Seattle and San Francisco. We'll go through all four teams tomorrow. So I'm looking forward to this. We're going to start doing this at least once a week, perhaps twice a week. So that will start tomorrow here on To The Point. I apologize for the technical difficulties today. And we'll get back to some NFL, other NFL news and notes tomorrow as well. As we move as we move throughout the week. But I hope everybody has a great night. Stay healthy, stay safe, and we'll talk soon.